Hello, one and all. Welcome to another episode of the Squiggly Film Club. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello, Laura Beth. Hello. And Steve Henderson. Hello, Steve. Howdy ho. And, uh, yes. South Park, the movie that is the winner of the latest Squiggly Film Club poll. Uh, the battle of the TV show uh, tie-in movies. It uh, beat out The Simpsons. There you go. That's what we'll be watching tonight. Mm. You excited, everyone? Loads of excitement on, on Twitter for this one. Uh, I think it, it when we said we were doing South Park, everyone got really excited. And it was pretty conclusive, the fight between The Simpsons and South Park. Uh, which isn't the way I would have expected it to go. But yeah, it's it's going to be a good one. I'm really excited. I've not seen this film in years, so really excited for it. I was thinking about it, where each film kind of came in the sort of timeline of their respective shows. And I think that South Park had a bit of an advantage by coming at a more opportune moment, Mm. which uh, we'll go into a little bit later on. Um, I think that's why maybe it's kind of considered something that people get more excited about. Anywho, uh, before we crack on with that, um, future business, shall we uh, have a little natter about? Yeah, we're going to figure out a way of what do we do with the losers ben we've got <laughs> we've got a big pile of eight losers here and uh we're gonna have a playoff which is the closest mm. thing to sport that i'm sure me and you have ever come <laughs> pitting losers against one another <laughs> yeah fantastic uh so uh what we'll do is we'll do a kind of a world cup scenario so throughout the week on squiggly either on the Twitter page, if it gets out of Twitter Hospital and is rebooted soon, or on the Facebook page, what we'll do is we'll do what we do uh, throughout the week, but we'll do it on a day-by-day basis, and we'll randomly pit two of the losers against one another. Uh, We're going to have a draw now, so it's going to be like a draw for a sporting thing, but only with animation, so it's interesting, hopefully. Uh, You've got four names over on your side of Skype. And I've got four names over on my side of Skype, and we're going to draw them out of a uh, hat. I've got a working class flat cap with uh, cigarette papers, even though I don't smoke, with the names scrawled on them. And being that you live in the South, I'm sure you've got the top hat and gold leaf with the names encrusted on there. You're painting quite the picture. <laughs> it's like theatre of the mind. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, uh, so is it like four versus four? Uh, it's gonna. So you will draw the first name, and then I will draw a name, and it's those two against each other, and we'll put those against each other, and people can vote for one day only, and we will do that, and we will close the poll at the end of tomorrow for that draw. Then the next day, we'll do the next two films, the next day, the next two films, and then so forth with the winners. And so next Thursday, we'll have a final of all the losers, and then we'll, we'll do that film as the... Uh, the winner of the losers. So if people have had a film that they really wanted to see in previous weeks, so for example, a couple of people on Twitter said they really want to see The Book of Life, uh, then obviously wait for the day that Book of Life is going on and vote like crazy and tell all your friends about it and all that sort of stuff. Right on. Mm. So let's reach into our respective hats then and uh, whip out a contender, shall we? Mm. All right. Okay. You ready, Stephen, for the big reveal? I'm ready. I'm, I'm on tenterhooks, Ben. Right. So, of R4, the first is James and the Giant Peach. So it's James and the Giant Peach versus 
the Simpsons movie. Well, there you go. <laughs> what a what a pairing. This is going to be awful. What a pairing. <laughs> so, what's the next one, Ben? The next one is. Oh, oh, the BFG. The BFG versus Dots and the Kangaroo. Right. Shall we move along? Yep, next one. Oh, an American tale. An American tale versus the Red Turtle. And finally, that leaves us with Anomalisa. Versus the Book of Life. So there we go. There's your contenders, folks. So uh, keep your eye on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else you can vote, and we'll we'll have this battle to the death, and then we'll <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have the one of those films we will be pressing play on this time next week. So there you go. Now that'll it'll keep you busy. It certainly will. It's not just one poll to keep track of this time. No. Well, Godspeed. <laughs> um, shall we crack on with South Park? Bigger, longer, and uncut. Yeah, as if that wasn't funny enough. Full title. Right, are you all queued up over there? Ready to go. All right, three, two, two one, one, play. play. And if you're seeing the Paramount Mountain, we should all be good. South Park, the movie. Uh, came out not really that long after South Park the show started. Mm. And I think that that's kind of why it has such a sort of nostalgic appeal combined with it's a very odd film to watch now because it's so not representative of what South Park the show is yeah. 20 years later. Definitely. Uh, 21 years later. My goodness. Um so yeah, what were, where, where were you at with South Park when you first saw this film? I was heavily invested. It came out, uh, what, a couple of years uh, into the season and merchandise was everywhere. It had swearing in it. And I was 13 when the season came out, 13, 14. And so I was the perfect age for discovering the beautiful language of swearing. And so it was it was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the mania of South Park had sort of hit the UK the year before, mm. and we were about six to 12 months behind the US. Um, it was sort of just around the time the second season was sort of kicking off, and it really was like, when you sort of think about that first episode, um, like nothing else, it was kind of weirdly consistent with the Channel 4 animation output in the sense that they would show such bizarre wonderfully diverse animations mm. and it would have worked quite it would have fit quite well in as a sort of one-off you know yeah this yeah. bizarre little american adult comedy thing because that was not that common back then um briefly uh, i think for one frame glimpsed kenny's face there which was like an enormous deal yeah. <laughs> I don't think there were all sorts of like little reveals along the way in the early years of South Park and I remember like when you first saw like what all of their hair looked like that was kind <laughs> of a revelatory moment because they went several years with them just keeping their hats on. Yeah. Um but yeah so the um South Park I think was you know very much experienced via home media. It was sort of the advent of DVD. 
and I think it was one of those things where the creators kind of immediately became sort of famous along with the show. Yes. And so if you were a fan of South Park, you were a fan of Matt and Trey, and you would seek out their various, you know, movies they'd worked on before. Mm-hmm. And they had done a bunch of independent films, um, a couple of them sort of stand up, uh, you know, as quaint, quirky things. Um but prior to this movie, the only thing I think they'd done that had been in cinemas had been Basketball, which was an abominable, horrible film <laughs> that we actually I attempted five minutes of a few nights ago. And I think it's the closest you've ever come to divorcing me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a very, very joyless, stoic nod of agreement there. Um, and that was sort of like a bit of a letdown because you kind of really wanted to like them yeah. Uh, in a movie. So then a year later, this movie came out to a lot of people's relief because it was like, oh, will South Park work as a long-form thing? <laughs> um, I have no idea how this film would stand up to someone who hadn't seen it before watching it now uh, or to a fan of South Park, the show, who'd somehow never seen the movie. But at the time, people went bat-fuck for this film. Yeah, I only yeah. watched this film like a year ago. For the first time. Oh, that's the point. Because yeah, but you, you 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 knew of it for many years. I knew the soundtrack. Yeah. Now this I find kind of interesting because you had known the songs like word for word. <laughs> it was like you know this film as like an album <laughs> from your, your your youth. Yeah. So what was that like seeing the the album visualized? They're pretty good. They their their songs are pretty much the film. Like yeah. in like storybook form, it's it the same with like the Book of Mormon. Like if you mm. if you know the soundtrack to the Book of Mormon, you basically know the Book of Mormon. That's a good point actually, because you had a very similar kind of relationship with the Book of Mormon. Like we just in love with the soundtrack for years until we actually finally got to see the show. But once again, I'd only listened to the soundtrack for the Book of Mormon about a year before we saw it. Yeah. Um. Because I never really liked South Park growing up because I'd seen one episode and it really disturbed me. And I'd never been able to watch it since. <laughs> Which episode? It's the episode where Butters um, walks in on his dad, I think, giving a blowjob or having He's in like a sauna sex. with a guy. Yeah. And he tells his mum and the mum goes crazy. Yeah, and tries to kill him. And it's just, like, I was probably about... 12 when I saw that and at a friend's house and I was just like this isn't remotely funny it's just very <laughs> disturbing and upsetting it's being mean to this poor child because it's not really an episode because I've seen it since and it's not like upsetting anymore but it isn't actually that funny an episode really because nothing else goes on it's mostly about that and it's like Butter's just drowning in a car and his mum's just had a nervous breakdown I kind of feel like it's not considered a classic. No. Um, when it's people... more of it, it's one of the more dry, satirical episodes where it's not like shit gags and farting. Yeah. Speaking of farting, <laughs> we've approached <laughs> probably the first true classic musical number of the film, um, the Canadian comedy duo Terence and Philip uh, singing their tribute to uncle fucking and <laughs> farting. Um this was a, it was, a, I mean, when you heard this song without knowing what the context was, like, what possibly did you make of this? I just thought it was, as it is, it was just, like, 
people making fun of the swear words. Basically, yeah. For like, I didn't think there was like a scene in the film where they were fucking an uncle. <laughs> no, fair enough. I think Terrence and Philip were kind of like reaction to the initial criticisms of South Park in the way that like Itchy and Scratchy were kind of a reaction to people yeah. talking about The Simpsons as being you know completely valueless. So he's like, well, here's something for comparison. <laughs> and there's an interest if you kind of watch the earlier episodes of South Park, I don't think that the rule of what is and isn't determined to be Canadian had been properly established. Because in the first episode with Terence and Philip, I think they're actually British. Right. And Ike has the same thing. Ike is the baby who has the Canadian head design and um, head lip sync approach. Uh, but they don't reveal that Ike's Canadian until later on. And they don't, I think, explicitly say that Terence and Philip are Canadian until the second series. And I think they just decided later on that that was just what Canadians are. Mm. That was how they would depict them. Um, not And they really, they really um, embraced that. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things in South Park where they will take a very basic concept and really ride it into the sunset. Uh, sometimes for, like, entire seasons worth. And sometimes it works very well, and sometimes it's, like, okay. But... They're revisiting a lot from the series as well. Lots of, you know, the the, the character traits like, you know, Stan's uh, timidness around Wendy and things like that. These, these are the types of things that were in the series. So I think somebody could watch this film without knowing m much about uh, South Park. I mean, you might not be, if you're not like a super fan or, or at least seen it on the TV, you might not be as enamoured by it as, you know, somebody who watched the series religiously but there's still a lot in it it's a really well made film for, for you know uh, for what it is it's an incredibly made film and I think that goes back to uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker's kind of education really these guys were uh, you know filmmakers first and foremost I think uh, Basketball wasn't much to do with them but did you ever see Cannibal the Musical yeah I remember when that came out it was on um Channel 4, they did South Park Night and it, one, one of those things where Channel 4 put on like the best episodes of South Park I think it was when the end of the first season when they were going to reveal uh, the uh, the identity of Eric Cartman's father do you remember that kind of two-parter in the kind of Who Shot Mr. Burns style um, Simpsons reference there you go, um, we knew we'd get it in but uh, they did that um, they, they did that episode, the big reveal and then they showed uh, a couple of the short films. They showed the, the South Park original short film, Spirit of Christmas. Uh, and then they showed uh, Cannibal the Musical. And if you see Cannibal the Musical, you know that they've always had that in them. They've always had that ability to do that type of stuff. And when they did the Book of Mormon, that's just them doing what they do. Uh, you know, they, they can look at something and they know exactly how to pastiche it. I think the uh, the common trait of all three, and um, it's something that I don't think is a part of another film they did, which was Orgasmo, which I don't think had like musical numbers in the same way. But if you listen to the music in Cannibal the Musical, 
it shares the same sort of sense of discipline that the music in this film and the music in the Book of Mormon has. Mm. They're very, at times, almost classically informed pieces of music. Uh, the love song, um, or there's a kind of song of yearning in Cannibal, the musical, that if you really kind of dissect the string arrangements is, is quite elaborate and yet very appealing. Like, the, the, it would be very much not out of place in a Disney movie. Yeah. Um, similarly, you know, a lot of the songs here, if you were to change, you know, the, the lyrics um, so that they're no longer about horrible sexual acts, um, they would be right at home in a show, you know, uh, a Broadway show. Mm. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff that's directly kind of uh, paying homage to established Broadway shows like Oklahoma is all over this film. Um, I think uh, Miss Saigon there was a bit of an element of that in the Book of Mormon. Um, oh, yeah. So it's, and of course, The Lion King. Um, uh, they also so do that a, in um, Team America. Yeah. To a certain extent. And Trey, I think, was very sort of musically oriented. Hmm. And I think he um, contributed to some of the uh, songwriting. The guy who wrote the music in this film was Mark Scheiman, who has done a bunch of great films. He did like the old Adams family movies and similar sort of films of that era that were very sort of big, uh, crowd pleasing hits that had a great musical identity to them. Hmm. Um, yeah, basketball, I think was the guys who did like <sighs> those kind of like pastiche films that aren't really very good, but they're considered classics like, um, like Naked Gun and stuff like that. <laughs> um, that, you know, and basically certainly didn't go down as a classic um, in the annals of time. But I think that maybe the idea was, oh, we've we found this perfect, uh, already, you know, ready-to-go comedy duo. Let's give them some gold to work with. And I think it sort of turned out that they kind of work best with their own material. Yeah. Fool's gold. <laughs> so, the, um, go on. Things that kind of pop up when sort of watching this, generally speaking, the production quality, like the character animation isn't much different than it is now, mm. but the layouts are much, much more simple. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing how, like, it's kind of built over time, just the sort of design of the town and the way they approach, like, composition and camera angles and perspective and things like that. It's a much more rudimentary approach with this. Hmm. Um, the ones that were used in the show, uh, in the TV series, you know, when they when they go up to see Chef, there's that kind of formulaic, you know, hi children, hi Chef, and they're all doing the same thing. There's not much, there's not much adventure, is there? Well, there's a little bit of adventure here, but there's, um, it, 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 it's the music that really pushes it. Yeah. Then uh, I do remember later on we go to hell, and yeah. I remember finding those scenes really impressive. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, no, wait, no, just they fooled you because compared to the fake cardboard look. Um, <laughs> but probably back then even it wasn't that good. <laughs> I think it gets more and more elaborate and impressive as it goes on. I think you're just kind of lulled into a sort of, yes, you are watching a TV show. It's not, it's not done what the Simpsons movie did. And the Simpsons movie kind of went, right, we're going widescreen, we're changing the colour palette, we're adding shadows, we're doing a lot more 
you know, it's going to be a bit more finessed than what you get in the TV series, which at the time I think was four by three, and they changed it, uh, or sixteen nine or whatever. Um, but yeah, with this, it's like yeah, this is this is exactly what you paid for. It's South Park the movie. But like you say, later on you start getting flames and you start getting special inverted commas uh, effects. <laughs> Just really like sort of bottom of the barrel, like stock footage overlays yes. of yeah. explosions and things like that, which now happens like 20 times in your average South Park episode. Um, or they'll actually do quite elaborate advanced CG. Um, the, uh, yeah, so yeah, the, the sort of time I think in South Park history where this movie kind of came together. What is interesting is that it's sort of in the thick of a show developing its own identity. It hasn't actually properly or firmly established it. It felt like it did at the time, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't even really have a full roster of characters yet. I think maybe in the minds of the creators, the focus point of the show was always going to just be the four kids. And whatever peripheral characters appeared here and there weren't really that consequential. So you have Mr. Mackey, who's singing the song right now. We'll bring him out whenever we need a scene with a school counselor, but he's not really that important. Uh, But there's no... I don't think... He may have a couple of lines, but Randy Marsh isn't really a presence in this film. Yeah. And he's probably, like, the main character in South Park the show now. yeah. Um, Timmy hasn't appeared. I don't think he's in the show for another year or two. Um, Butters is there, but he doesn't really have any lines. I think he, like, made a little, like, noise of appreciation when he was, like, rubbing <laughs> Eric Cartman earlier. Yeah. But I don't think he actually has any dialogue in this film. And maybe he doesn't even has a there. name. Yeah. Tweak's not there as well, and at that point, Tweak was a huge character in the show. Yeah, because Tweet was pretty early on. That was um, hmm. Underpants Gnomes. Yes. Um, but yeah, the generally and Token, who at that point was you know just sort of scenery set dressing. Um, so there was a lot, I think, of world building to go in the overall kind of you know world of South Park. Then um, we sort of have here yeah, what we kind of have with this movie. It's sort of an expanded version of one of the episodes very early on where Sheila, Kyle's mother, has this vendetta against um, uh, Terrence and Philip, and so, you know, wants them cancelled and goes to protest them. And this is kind of taking that concept and basically making a movie out of it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, taking it to, you know, much more extreme places. Um, and then I think is a... D- d- there have been a few, I think, uh, movies based on TV shows that kind of do that. They sort of just take an episode or, or a sort of strand, story strand from episodes and kind of, you know, build a movie around it. And I would usually find that a bit annoying. Like, you know, oh, there's going to be like an X-Files movie. I hope it's not the same fucking boring shit about the aliens. Oh, <laughs> Like when it's a show that does absolutely everything and they pick the most boring one. Um... But this, I think, did enough like new stuff with um, the concept and with you know the language and with the action. This yeah. scene here, there's so much more. I think dynamic action going on and like like perfect beat, perfect comedic timing. Like yeah. you know, getting knocked on the head, <laughs> getting 
getting covered in the salt, being, you know, um, and then this scene coming up, the emergency room scene, um, there was such a sense of, like, high-octane <laughs> action, which is kind of ridiculous seeing it now without sound. Mm. Like, it's <laughs> it doesn't feel that dramatic, but it really felt like it was taking it to a place that the show could never really go. Um, and also, like, the the imagery was a lot more visceral like this is sort of a much more horrific kenny death yes than the kind of goofy like he would usually get exploded or he would get lanced or um he'd get run over and it would all be you know little bits of torn cardboard flying across the screen but this is like his skin is burned it's peeling off his bones uh he's having his organs you know wrenched from his abdomen or his chest um and that I think you know that was another sort of thing. It's like okay, they're they're not pulling any punches with this film, and it was just exploded all over them. Is this George Clooney? It is, isn't yeah. it? The uh, when because he asked to be in the show originally when it was a TV series, and they gave him the voice of Sparky the dog, so he just went around going woof, uh, and they actually gave him lines in the film. What a cop out. I, I wonder if he was disappointed that he didn't return as the dog. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in trouble. That Terence and Philip movie's got the boys in trouble. And their parents are uh, furious. This is where the film kicks off, really, isn't it? In terms of, uh, how you said, the extra effects. I mean, wow. <laughs> Whoa! It's a it's a photograph of space. Welcome to 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, are you in, in absolutely enthralled by this, or are you just sort of like picking? Well, look at the resolution on those clouds. It's <laughs> quiet awe. I'm just baffled, I guess. <laughs> so you've seen this film a few times. Yeah, point. but never without the music. <laughs> Is watching it without the music It's like a... watching something slowly die. <laughs> well, he, he has died. That's, yeah. It is the reverse of listening to the album and not seeing the uh, images. So yeah. you're kind of playing catch-up. <laughs> You've taken away the bit I like. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're left with the visuals. And they're glorious. See, actually, I don't mind that bit with the sort of fire sprites, but this thing with these, like, corpse demons, this is pretty naff. <laughs> they look <laughs> like demonic sea monkeys. Yeah, they were the tails. Why is Gandhi in hell? Well, that's the joke. It's like, Hitler and such and such. Gandhi, what? Um, that was another thing that they really ran with in the show. Whenever they would do something in hell, it, they would just like pick, like, okay, what nice person can we have be in hell? And that'll be the joke uh, this week. Another good musical number. That one didn't appear on the soundtrack. Which one? The, the Kenny Goes to Hell song. Do you know that, uh, what's he called? James Hetfield from Metallica. Is uh, the uncredited singer of that? Ah, I uh, I'd already th- I'd always thought it was Trey. Mm. So yeah, be be careful uh, putting that on Napster. You don't want to get in trouble. Take us back to 1999. Any more 1999 references? 
So maybe we actually uh, watched the Napster episode not that long ago. Yeah. It's quite a good one. But I imagine kids watching it, like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> What's Napster? Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> Napster is what um, you would download MP3s off of in like the late 90s. It would take 45 minutes to download a three minute song. Oh, you had a fast What's LimeWire? LimeWire was like the, the sort of next thing, and that was kind of when it wasn't just MP3s, but more like video short clips and things like that. I remember LimeWire. Um, yeah, that probably would have been your your generation. <laughs> then, uh, then it was Bear Share when I was in uni. Maybe that was a underdog of peer to peer. I just bought things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I didn't have that uh, moral compass. Or oh, money. <laughs> You'd this buy is... the stuff that you liked. That was the thing. Yeah, and I, yeah. there, so many times before streaming and whatnot where you'd like a band because they had a couple of good singles and you'd buy their record and the rest of the record fucking stunk on ice. Mm. And I did think I did feel like being able to stream music really kind of evened out. You know, I mean, musicians lost a lot of money that they would have made otherwise, but... I think I only had, like, five CDs as a kid. Yeah. What five but you CDs? weren't that crazy about music in general, were you? No. Yeah. So I think when you have a kind of, like, a- appetite for music and you want to discover new bands and stuff, and it's, you know, it's so easy now to just sort of go online and listen to whole albums, and there isn't an expectation to buy them... Um, you got Spotify now, which seems like the compromise, doesn't it? It's like, you know, so you won't pay for music, but you pay a little bit for music. You know, mm-hmm. you can listen to whole albums and stuff. There are two moments coming up that I remember in the cinema destroyed, and one is this bit with Brooke Shields. Mm. The Who's Brooke Shields? Slap. <laughs> that killed. I remember the cinema was screaming, and then the bit coming up with the car alarm, yeah, and the guy turning off the car alarm. Um, that was like the sort of <laughs> great. It was, I like to say timing. Yeah, the it kind of drew attention to like how few comedies people actually laughed at in the cinema mm. when you'd go and see a film that people actually found funny vocally. I don't know if we films have just gotten better. Because it doesn't seem like that's that rare nowadays. Um. It's um, it, it certainly is something. I'd like to say that I I remember that experience. But when I went to see South Park the movie, it was <laughs> it was just it was just literally me and my brother in the cinemas watching it. Uh, <laughs> it, it was you know in the bit in the beginning when they're all clearing out. It but it was but no one was in there and it was just us two. We had the whole <laughs> cinema to ourselves. It was absolutely amazing. But I remember going to see um, Team America, and uh, my my dad always told me about when he went to see The Life of Brian at cinemas, and how he doesn't remember much of the film because all he remembers is banging his head on the back of the seat because he was laughing so much and just looking mm. at the ceiling in, with tears rolling down his eyes, and that was my experience for well for this film pretty much, but for Team America as well, just. Uh, fantastic when you're in when you're in a cinema and you can hear everyone laughing like it's a studio audience or something there's nothing like it i mean my favorite experience in cinema ever wasn't an animated uh film it was going to see uh, four uh four lions uh mm-hmm. for like a um 
they were raising some money for the Pakistani floods in in uh, cinema in Bradford, and so uh, you know, perfect audience for it. And I'd never seen the film before. I went to see it the first time, and it, the audience was loaded, just absolutely, really excited for the film. And uh, yeah, it was one of the best experiences ever. When you get that, it's just perfect, isn't it? Does help when people have had a few. Yeah. For, yeah. Um, I think with the film festivals, like a, a, a good like evening screening, um, mm. that would be much more of a kind of guarantee that you'll get a nice result from the audience. Yeah. Um, and it is a, it's a it, it's a nice feeling as well. Like uh, they're probably they at a point where they're so inebriated they laugh at anything. But I'm glad that the thing that they're laughing at. Yeah, my stupid cartoon. <laughs> um, I remember. I, th- I think I saw this film like three times in cinemas, and that was kind of the nice thing about like summering elsewhere. Uh, we'd go back to Canada during the summer, and then come back to England for like the school uh, semester to start, and then the movies that had been on during the summer would hit the British cinemas a couple months later. So I remember I was able to take my dad to see this one. Um, but he didn't particularly like going to the cinema that much, so he would only go to like a sort of morning matinee thing where they, the local Odeon would uh, put on for like senior citizens, like, and they'd have like cups of tea and biscuits and stuff. <laughs> and it was me and my dad and about 30 like men and women of a sort of median age of like 65. <laughs> And they loved it too. Like they really dug it. And I remember there was a, there's a joke earlier in the film where Sheila's like, "What's a rim job?" And Leanne goes, "Oh, that's when you stick your ankles behind your head and have someone lick your ass." And this old lady behind me went, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> "It tickled her." Like a rim job. Exactly. The immersive theatre. Again, theatre of the it wasn't. Mind. It wasn't an immersive theatre, was it? With all those old people. No. One of those scratch and sniff screenings. Oh, good lord. Uh, so, um, I've had a couple of tweets I might read out just to divert the conversation uh, from, uh, from that uh, visual imagery. Uh, Gareth Kavanagh, uh, who we all know and love on Squiggly, uh, he said, I've never laughed as hard in a film in a cinema as I did for the first ten minutes of this film. Um, Simon Brown uh, on Twitter says it's the second greatest film ever made and then he says uh, Team America being the first one Uh, and then uh, Mark Bradley says uh, I really can't remember much of the rest of the movie but when Uncle Fucker came on it was just about the most I've ever laughed at a movie so there's loads of fantastic responses here Um, people saying it's flipping grey and all that sort of stuff Uh, somebody actually saying it's a movie that holds relevance to this day free speech, censorship misplaced parenting, other bastions of hypocrisy uh, worthy of its elevated contempt. And there are 399 bad words said in the movie. Uh, If they said one more, it would be rated NC-17. Those clever motherfuckers. Ah, fiendish. So that's from uh, the bad twin on Twitter. Hmm. So we're back in hell now. So this is something that kind of goes back to um, the development element of of like where characters came from and stuff so this is saddam hussein's like debut i suppose in the sort of world of south park Mm. 
But in the show, he'd appeared as a character in the Terrence and Phillips show. And I think initially the idea was of that kind of like head cut in half, flapping head thing. That was meant to be the world of that show rather than that was just meant to be Canada. Because why else? Why would Saddam Hussein have a head like that? And when you think of his voice, he has that Canadian accent as well. Well, that, you know, very poorly done Canadian accent. Um, but I think they just probably figured rather than do him in a South Park style, using the photographs is, is funnier. <laughs> um, so they kind of went with that. And that then became a sort of thing when they, they would bring in celebrities. Sometimes they just wouldn't even bother to design a character. They'd just put, get a bunch of photos of whoever they were talking about making stupid faces and then animate them that way. Um, so it's kind of a mishmash, I think, of concepts that hadn't quite like coalesced yet. But for the purposes of this, you know, getting the story together, it worked pretty well. And this, this is, is a, a callback to a yeah. uh, uh, highlight of the show mm. from the uh, the earlier season. Yeah, this was one of those <laughs> often repeated things in the show. You're supposed to be revising for your GCSEs and then just quoting South Park at one another, doing your best Cartman impression. Oh, I remember uh, Simon Adams coming back from his summer holidays the summer that South Park had debuted and he had a Cartman impression in his back pocket that he couldn't wait to, <laughs> you know, wow us with. And the first thing I had done that morning was do my Cartman impression for everyone. And I stole his thunder. I don't think he ever forgave me for that. <laughs> do you think he's over it now? Is he... I doubt it. Would you be no. over that? No. <laughs> you have an ace up your sleeve like that and someone snatches it away from you? <laughs> I'm going to... little bit of audio, why not? <laughs> so, we have kind of a, a thing where we like to like sing songs from movies and shows to each other just mm. out of boredom. And South Park, I think, is in pretty heavy rotation yeah. in that playlist. I think it's because it's the only one we know the words to. Yeah, well, it's South Park and, of course, Simpsons, like songs that because if, if it's something that you've you know heard enough times, you do just know the words. Oh, there's Randy. Randy would occasionally appear and just say something sensible as one of the obligatory adults <laughs> in a, uh, which is kind of bizarre to sort of see him just be a normal person. Um, I think this is is this Eric Idle's character. Yes. Right. Of course, I mean the the South Park guys. Uh, Monty Python was always cited as their kind of their idols. Well, you know, not for not for to make a pun there, but uh, yeah, they, they were the the guys that they looked up up to. Yeah, I think that the absurdism of British comedy um, was so at odds with what would have been on TV hmm. at the time um, that it must have been kind of fascinating yeah. um, to a kid. I do remember them saying they also liked Monty Python because of the occasional nudity. <laughs> and me being like, that's why I liked Monty Python too. 
my dad had, uh, I think I have it somewhere, it was a paperback um, of the script of The Meaning of Life that was just full of full-color photographs. And I remember being very fond of that particular book because it was funny, but it also had like lots of stills from the movie of you know naked people running about. And just like, ah, culture. So this, this are you talking about uh, musicals there? This is pretty much the first musical that we've... There was a couple of songs in Corpse Bride, but uh, this is the first real musical we've had on the film club. Ah. There you go. Not sure where to go with that but well you know you can just shall we shall we do more well Ooh, we should do you know how um we should do sing-along commentaries yeah. so what's the next song do you know um have they done blame canada yet yeah yeah they did that they did okay Ages ago. uh so what do we just have carl's mom's a bitch um No, I'm not sure. Is it Brian Boyd-Tana? Maybe. Or maybe um, maybe the Satan song. The kind of yearning. Um. Well, it's your tradition. I want to hear you two singing along. That's all. I remember actually when I, I played the CD in the car once being driven to school. And um, we got to the song Blame Canada. Um, which is a lovely tune. <laughs> and my mother... It was, of course, Canadian. About halfway through the song, she goes, Who's Kavanaugh? And why do they hate him so much? <laughs> like, oh, mum. <laughs> oh, fantastic. They're not even a real country anyway. She's like, hey! <laughs> I thought they were supposed to be so forgiving, Canadians. This song coming up, um, I have to say, wasn't one of my favourites. On the soundtrack, I think this one was the one that got skipped a lot. Mm. Not sure why. It's a fine song. I think I just didn't really <laughs> care so much about lampooning Brian Boytano. He wasn't really on my Maybe radar. Brian I guess he's a skater. Yeah, was he uh, a, a, something of a local hero of uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Maybe. Uh, I don't know if he was like a, an actual big celebrity or hmm. um yeah i'm just my i just don't have a foot in that world <laughs> of uh, ice skating why is he it, such a weird different design to everyone else so it's kind of a it's sort of a callback to one of the original short films they did where and this was kind of very very early on before it was even a show but the um deus ex machina is that brian boitano this random guy from, I guess, pop culture, appears and saves the day um, from a killer snowman, um, <laughs> I guess. Is it a snowman in both of them? I think so, yeah. Uh, and so that was what his design looked like in that, and I guess they just kind of figured it was like a sort of callback to their earlier film. Um, so there you go. And so he's this is a kind of an, an arbitrary musical number where he's um, this world-saving hero with superpowers 
But yeah, not really knowing who he is in real life, that joke never particularly landed with me. This, I remember feeling like this was really advanced animation for South Park, (laughs) actually having a a run toward and away from the camera. And the backlighting as well, my goodness. Shadows. (laughs) We're back in the high-end CG wonderland that is hell. And background in the picture uh, um skeet skeet ulrich is it is it yeah that's fine <laughs> i think i saw that when i was uh having a little look through imdb earlier on again i i'm, I'm not boned up on my uh 1999 heart throbs <laughs> and why should you be I think they changed the design of Satan in the show as well. In the, like, I feel the like film, he, yeah. Because they, they, they really beefed him up, didn't they? I think, no, I think he's more simplistic in the film. Ah, right. Like, I think maybe later on in the show, this is probably what he looked like in the show at the time, but mm. I think, like, later on in the show, they, like, beefed him up more. Because he still looks pretty crude here. Um, Comparatively. This is one of those this <laughs> sound oriented joke. I remember yeah. that one not getting a huge laugh. Yeah, just I thought it was kind of funny, but there you go. There's uh, this, uh, this moment here where they're they're watching uh, uh, an adult movie on the internet, uh, and it's is it Cartman's mum, who's uh, she's indulging in a little bit of um, defecation fun, shall we say? Um, I think this predated uh, Two Girls, One Cup. <laughs> so at it the may, time it was sort of unheard of. You might say inspired. <laughs> but, um, yes, maybe, maybe. They actually, um, they, they actually originally had a, uh, have a horse have sex with her. It's, um, it's difficult how to word this, but for the rating, they, uh, this is a compromise, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> they took it down from that to that. Oh, we can't. You can't have bestiality in a film. That's that's not very nice. Have they been shat on instead? Yeah. You know, I think that's that's sort of consistent with their general approach to get like things on screen. <laughs> is that their first pitch would be something that was, you know, ludicrously offensive or too much. Yeah. And then comparatively, okay, what if she's just being pooed on? Oh yeah, fine. <laughs> I remember when I saw them do a, a talk in Montreal um, a while ago now, but they were talking, Team America, I think, had, was a few years old at that point, and they were talking about the technical aspect of the puppet sex scene, and that initially they filmed a lot more um, that I think perhaps eventually made its way to like deleted scenes or a director's cut or something, but for the theatrical release, they filmed like an insane amount of just puppet debauchery <laughs> and relative it's relatively tame in the final movie um and i mean it's all you know it, there's nothing really explicit about it anyway it's just dolls being kind of wiggled about in front of each other but at one point um there is a scene where the girl is pooping on the guy and so they had to get like you know a technician to come in and rig like fudge through like a tube <laughs> that ran through the puppet and that knowing that this isn't going into the movie, that they just have to film this to show to people 
so it will get cut, but the stuff they want to keep will stay in and not get cut. <laughs> and um, so, you know, they get the guy to rig it all up and they film it and it just... <laughs> this really depressing shot of this girl puppet, like, squatting over a boy puppet with just fudge kind of scrooching out onto him. And then one of... <laughs> One of the like technical crew watching the rushes as this is happening, going, "Oh yeah, you got to put that in the movie." <laughs> <laughs> but imagine being the person like, what, "What did you do today at work?" Oh God, where do we where do we start? And um, where are you doing? What do you? you know, How was your day at work? And uh, have you seen my fudge anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> interesting thing like they never really feared any reprisal and yeah. that goes back you know to sort of these early days of south park because you know saddam hussein was still a going concern when um uh this film came out you know he didn't i think get executed until maybe four or five years after hmm. um and you know i mean I don't think there was ever really a, a concern that, you know, Saddam Hussein would see this and get annoyed and, you know, track him down. But later on, I, I do remember the network got a bit cagey about some of the stuff they would talk about and, you know, um, things that would have sort of unheard of that, like, satirists would actually get, yeah. you know, killed or kidnapped or, you know, stuff like that. And that starts actually happening in the world. Um, that does kind of... That's something else I think that places this in the time that it's in. There yeah. was more fearlessness. In fact, uh, there's, there's a, a an often uh, retold kind of fable, rather, that um, when Saddam Hussein was in captivity, the American soldiers would play this film on repeat as a sort of method of torture to him. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but um, yeah, that's the... That's, that's the I, could, I could see why that would do the rounds as a yeah. story. The, the other rumour was that it was actually banned in Iraq, the film, but uh, it was never distributed in Iraq for obvious reasons. Yeah, I think that that's, that's probably a more like, oh my god, that sun asset is so low res. <laughs> that's like unnecessarily bad. Like... <laughs> You really can tell, you can really get this kind of the Disney pastiche out of these songs, can't you? Yeah, this is a very sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, And again, not like, something that the show I think didn't do as well as the movie was, when the show has musical numbers, the musicianship can be very good, but sometimes it can be very rushed and like, there isn't a lot of like, effort that goes into like if Cartman has a song and he'll be singing out of key or the music will be all sort of out of time and you know a lot of the times they kind of fall on the crutch of like okay have the song sound like shit as part of the joke Hmm. but I do think it works better when the song sounds good like when it sounds earnest when it sounds when there's actual sort of technical proficiency behind it um, that then makes the lyrics you know obviously pop a lot more um, and there's a montage song coming up, which is so elaborate because it's sort of a reprise of four or five songs that we've heard. Um, they kind of come together in the uh, the second half of the song, 
um, in the kind of sing-song, you know, overlapping way. Um, and when you kind of dissect that and how, you know, these separate compositions are so beautifully interwoven, you know, and they're talking about um, uh, cutting off your dick and feeding it to a pig. <laughs> sort of thing. It's wonderful. I remember the other movie that was big in the cinemas this summer was American Pie. Really? And I don't feel like that one really kind of... Actually, I guess those are pretty huge films. I certainly yeah. doesn't hold as fond a place in my heart. <laughs> it was a... Um, it, it, it was often said as well that um, the reason... Well, most of the ticket sales for films at that time, such as... Uh, Wild Wild West, uh, another cult classic. Uh, <laughs> um, most people, you know, young people, were going and buying a ticket for Wild Wild West and then sneaking into South Park. Which I've never done. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's money well spent. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't do South Park's numbers any good, but, you know, <laughs> it does culture well, I suppose. Did you hear the story? Obviously, um, Blame Canada was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, mm. and uh, there's the there's the images of um, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone going to the Oscars in a couple of famous dresses that were worn in yeah. earlier years. Uh, apparently, they were they were high on LSD when they when they went yeah. to the Oscars. <laughs> I remember that they had um, Robin Williams sang the song. Yes. I don't know why I remember that. They wanted um, um, Matt and Trey to sing it, but they refused. So they got Robin Williams instead, which is just perfect because he's just he he's just oozes like confidence and hilarity. Robin Williams. Uh, so yeah, it was yeah, barnstorming when he was doing it. <laughs> Uh, so this is a great bit of business, and a, and a wonderful Windows ninety eight joke coming up. Yeah, which um, Windows ninety eight kids was the Windows Vista of nineteen ninety nine. Windows Vista. <laughs> what would be the Windows Vista of today? Uh, goodness knows. Well, write in your answers, and we'll uh, we'll debate it in the next film commentary. <laughs> so, uh, in two thousand and eleven, Time magazine called South Park uh, this movie the sixth greatest animated feature of all time. Rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, what was the seventh? No idea. Oh. <laughs> I bet whoever it was was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> really? Probably sausage party. We don't see much of Gregory after this film. No, no. I wonder if he's like a reference to a character from another musical, maybe. Like maybe because maybe. Yeah, this is a kind of Les Mis vibe at this moment. This revolution. Yeah. You know your Les Mis. Does he ring any bells with you? Just the French. Just the French. 
I remember being very confused listening to this song on the soundtrack, trying to work out who the hell was singing <laughs> at this point, because whoever he is has a very odd singing voice. So yeah, this is the um, the big kind of reprise musical number. Yeah, but it's worth uh, it's worth paying attention to. It's a great album to have anyway. Like some of the arrangements are a little bit different on the album than they are in the movie, but yeah. generally speaking, um, you know, it's the same songs. Um, It's in it's in that point of the film, isn't it, where it would be uh, time for a break in the um, in in the play in the in the theatre. Yes, Inter- right. let's all go to the lobby. Intermission, yeah. <laughs> I just listen to music. <clears throat> right. So, um, any other personal remembrances of this film? Your experience, how it touched your life. Are you asking me or Laura? Uh, you. Me. Uh, yeah, I remember being quite happy that I managed to watch it because I'd just turned 15. <laughs> I felt like I'd, um, you know, stuck it to the man. I'd, I'd, I'd managed to sneak into the cinemas. And then the same summer, I think it was, uh, or, or earlier on in the year, or the year before it was the X-Files movie, and I was 14 when I went to see that. But, you know, in, in Barnsley, they don't really care much for... Uh, um, those rules and regulations. Dick joke. <laughs> it's a good double whammy dick joke. <laughs> Again, this one went down very well. Ah, there's another one. Ah, <laughs> fake too. <laughs> um, I don't know if we ever told on the podcast the story, the quite devastatingly sad story of the film you weren't allowed to watch ever as a kid and when you finally left home you you were able to watch it <laughs> I might have done if I mentioned the film that that I'm going to mention but I'll let you go first well <laughs> apparently as a kid you were absolutely insistent that your parents let you see the movie Ghost that's right yep <laughs> with Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and it became, so, because you weren't allowed to see it, it became so deified <laughs> as this holy grail of cinema. <laughs> and I could only imagine the utter disappointment when you saw it for the first time. Like, oh, all right. Now I remember watching I mean, it thinking, where's these scary bits my mum was going on about? Where's the, <laughs> like, I'm not scared of pottery. I'm not scared of Whoopi Goldberg. I'm what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she was she was she was scared of the when uh, when the characters die these sort of monsters come and drag you down into the ground, and that was the, that was the thing that scared my mum, and so she thought it'd scare me. But I mean, I was young. I was really young. It was like um, I was in year four. However, however old that is, what like seven or eight or something, and. Uh, yeah, and I remember, I remember saying, you know, miserably saying, oh, my mum won't let me watch Ghost. <laughs> like three, <laughs> three girls in the class turned around and went, I've seen it. And it's like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my. The emasculation. 
I know, I know. But, it, you know, it made me to be the well-rounded individual I am today. Not just going and watching all, any old, uh, you know, all that effing and jeffing and scariness. Any old filth. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch Clockwork Orange when I was 12. I mean, then... Neither was the country. They closed... They they banned that film. That's okay. That's a good example. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't not allowed. My dad was just like, maybe not. But if I'd really wanted to, I probably could have done it. It wasn't like they hid the DVD. Yeah. Uh, I think we just were introduced to... And I'm ashamed, I forget the name of the character. But the uh, resistance fighter. The mole, isn't it? Mole, of course. Mm. Um... Yes, he has some great lines in this. Again, also a shame that he doesn't appear again after this movie. Yeah. The um, the song coming up, I think, was probably my favourite on the record. Oh, it's happening already. I just also remember really enjoying the orchestration, like the sort of sombre violin. He's like, my parents were sometimes abusive, and the violin comes in. Yeah, da, 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 da. <laughs> it painted a picture. <laughs> and I think a, a, a shared trait with something like The Simpsons, where in there wasn't musical numbers, I don't think, in the movie. Um, but in the show, of course, you know, there were plenty of, they were very sort of short length songs but you know when they were playing they were really really you know well orchestrated um and i remember like having a sort of album of those songs and again just kind of drinking in the orchestrations of them and some of them had been went for it the simpsons had some really good musical numbers they had the the yellow album (laughs) you know they really went for it in the early seasons yeah i don't think the yellow album was my favorite no. I think the yellow album was more under the category of like the Simpsons sing the blues where they just got the characters singing bad rock songs like the Smurfs or go pop, pop songs. Um <laughs> basically and it was I mean, you know, if it sold, if it made money for him, more power to him. Mm. But the ones that were actually songs from the show um you know, cuz those, you know, those had the humor of the actual show. It just didn't feel like a sort of arbitrary pairing of like, oh, let's have um, let's have Lisa singing "Sisters Are Doing It for Themselves." Like, well, let's not. How about that? But you know, if you listen to like the Stonecutter song or any of the Mary Poppins episode songs and all of that stuff, it's the Spring same kind of principles. Yeah, it's the same song. principles that we have in this movie. Like they they care about the musical side of things. Yeah. And there were a few episodes that I didn't, I hadn't actually seen when I I got the CD for the first time because I don't think they were even being shown on the BBC at that point. Um, Like I saw the Simpsons when I was either on holiday or at a friend's who had Sky or if a video came out. Um, And so I, there were hundreds of episodes of the Simpsons that I didn't see, or at least like, you know, a hundred until much later. Um, And then I'd see them and almost be a bit disappointed because I, I was so aware of the music that I'd see a musical number being animated in that very sort of, you know, low-budget Simpsons way and be like, ah, oh, that's a shame. Um, things like the New Orleans um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, the musical episode. Mm. 
Like, if you just watch the episode, it's fine. The animation isn't terrible or anything, but it's not very um, impactful along when you've just... If you're more familiar with the music on its own, you build more of a kind of... Um, you know, there's more going on, I think, in your head, perhaps. Um, with South Park, I think there wasn't a huge expectation of that because I, I knew it was South Park. Hmm. <laughs> it's a good viewfinder. Okay. I love them all. Um, more musical numbers coming up. I think Big Gay Al is going to make his appearance. He's going to do his... There's a couple of uh, songs here that were big songs in the earlier seasons. It's just so early, isn't it, in the, in South Park history that, uh, you know, Big Gay Al is a character. Um, you know, this is pre-Mr. Hankey and, uh, like you say, all the other characters. Terrence and Philip are a big deal. <laughs> this is... I think Mr. Hankey had been in the show. Yeah. Because that, that was a big event in the show, like the first Christmas episode. Yeah. Um, certainly in the States, that was kind of a big, like, merchandisable thing, because they started selling little Mr. Hankeys <laughs> everywhere. Um, but yeah, I don't think he comes up in the film. Um, or if he was sort of maybe intended to come back again. Um I think there I think there had been two full seasons of the show at this point. And mm. I think the movie came out quite early on in the third season. So maybe like three or four episodes um in. And then the fourth season to me is where it really starts to take the shape of what it would become in its sort of glory run. Yes. Um and then from it's, it's similar to The Simpsons actually. It's from the tenth year on then it's like more of a hit and miss affair, I think, as to whether or not, you know, an episode's gonna be consistently like really good throughout. Um I always I'll always say that for for South Park there is always a laugh out loud moment now. Even in the new episodes, I won't get through a half hour or twenty five minutes, however long it is, without laughing out loud once. And that's that's pretty rare for any TV series, even comedies. People just are, are like, you know, you read a comic, you don't laugh out loud when you're reading a comic. You know, mm. but, you know, I think it's, it says something that it kind of appeals to the humour that, that I like and obviously, you know, brought up on Monty Python and things like that. It is a, a successor to it. Yeah. Who's this? Uh, this is meant to be Winona Ryder. Yeah. So this is kind of in the limbo between anyone I think giving a shit about Monona Ryder like people like her now again um, and then in the sort of early 90s she was kind of a darling of you know indie and alt um, that's a good guy she really doesn't look like Monona Ryder no maybe she looked like her at the time like she's never had that lighter hair yeah and that's the other thing is like the, the issue with the kind of the pop culture references that are kind of specific to that point is okay let's do Winona Ryder looking like she looks you know now and then cut to 20 years later is that going to be is that going to land as a Winona Ryder they always rely quite heavily on stating who they are (laughs) but they can never enter a scene without going I'm blah 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 blah." like they can't rely on you knowing who they are just visually 
very few, I think, celebrity caricatures have worked. Like, that you would look at them and think, oh, that's Paris Hilton, or oh, that's Ben Affleck, or that's... Michael Jackson. They get better as they go I think the Michael Jackson one probably would have. Well, no, the same with with Paris Hilton. I knew that was Paris Hilton, because she's got quite an... It only works if they have, like, a really iconic thing on their face. Like, hers is her massive schnoz and blonde hair. Okay. And and the fact that she's sort of, like, wandering around with a chihuahua. Right, okay. Um, see, I'm not, I, I wasn't really remotely someone who really watched her on TV, so I well, kind she was of, just everywhere. Yeah. So if I was, if I was more hip to what was going on, um, I probably would have. But I think that, um, because the faces are generally quite samey, you know, the actual facial alignment, if she didn't have the chihuahua or the, the way she was dressing or something like that, she would be pretty interchangeable. But once again, with, she still comes on the stage going, I'm Paris Hilton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it is kind of a necessary thing when you've automatically sort of put so many limitations on your... Oh, uh, my. I never noticed he was completely nude before. Did you not? No, I think I was just focused on the song. <laughs> the music... This is the thing. As soon as you hit mute... Then all the willies become visible. Yeah. <laughs> Story of life. He had song pants. Ghost Kenny. There's a good gag earlier on when uh, Mole was looking at his his watch, and it was like, and it was obviously counting down to what they have to do, and the the brand of watch is third act ticking clock. <laughs> so that's a good gag. <laughs> So, uh, I had a bit of a thing on Twitter a couple of months ago. It is an interesting thing, because occasionally you'll get people um, really reacting to things as though they've discovered stuff that's been swept under the carpet. And every once in a while, South Park will come under fire as this some, the show that's emblematic of everything that's wrong with the world, and that it's something that's the sort of leading cause of you know, all of the hostility mm. and shitty attitudes that um, particular age blokes have in particular. Um, and I do feel that that's kind of a misunderstood thing. Like, superficially, it's a very cynical show and it's very caustic and, you know, little kids die as we're watching a, a eight-year-old kid slowly dying right now. Um, another song that doesn't appear on the soundtrack, sadly, because <laughs> this is a lovely bit of orchestra swell after he uh, breathes his last breath. Um, but from the show in general, I, I got a lot of positive life lessons out of it. And I don't think it was ever really their sort of intention to be like a preachy moralistic show. I think they became aware that they were doing it a little bit. But once they kind of realized that it was a platform and it was a way that they could, you know, incorporate perhaps some of their own views on things or, you know, the views of their writing team or whatever, generally speaking, when those views came across, they weren't, they were, they were usually quite sensible. Mm. They weren't trying to be subversive or punk or really that like, you know, uh, shocking at all. Um, 
so there, there have been some quite sensible, I think, messages about, say, sex education in schools or drug use or education on drug use. Um, you know, Big Gay Owl is a very kind of archaic character in terms of the run of the show. But if you cast your mind back to the episode that he initially appeared in, um, you know, it wasn't very sophisticated, uh, like, intelligent comedy necessarily, but the message at its heart was one of acceptance, you know. It was, and it didn't need to kind of bury itself in making fun of the subject matter before it could then be brave enough to say, oh, actually, it's okay. Um, it actually just sort of said on its sleeve, no, this is okay. Um, and I do remember feeling kind of relieved at that. It's sort of 14 years old that that was being sort of talked about in shows because I was reaching an age where I was becoming very fond of certain artists and or authors and realizing that these people that I admired hugely were, for example, gay. And yet there are still peers on the, the playground that because of their shitty parents or their fear or whatever, they're still saying that is like a put down or like mm. that's something to be like, you know, afraid of or to be made fun of. And so when there was a show like this, that was such a big deal for kids our age that was saying, Hey, fucking knock it off. Um, that was quite reassuring. And I think there were several other sort of instances of that um, over the run of the show. You know, and they don't always ne agree with their politics, necessarily. And sometimes I don't think they're quite sure of what their politics are. I think like, they've they said of... once that they are an equal opportunities offender. And I think what you get from that is the fact that no one's going to watch this and go, oh, this is the lefty, leftiest show ever. It speaks my language and, you know, I can... Yeah. It's such a great comfort blanket. Or this is the most right-wing thing ever. Take that, you lefty scum, all that type of stuff. You know, it's not one of those shows. It's a show where you can be held to account. And I think that's really important to, to experience as a viewer. Yeah. But if you hadn't, if you're not that familiar with it, or you only watch it in passing, I think it could go the other way. And this was a, a, the case with this person on Twitter that had brought it up. It one of these threads that had gone quite, you know, semi-viral. Um, of like, if you're watching this and say you're, you know, you're on the left, you might think that it does have um, a conservative agenda because it isn't completely supplicant to what the current leftist values are. Therefore, it has to be uh, Republican propaganda. And I think similarly, if you were on the right and you watched this show and you saw some of its more liberal messages, you'd be like, oh, this is just PC garbage, you know? Mm. If you actually sit down and watch it properly, then you kind of realize, oh, no, this is actually probably more indicative of how people just kind of think and feel They'll have their sort of, you know, their column A and their column B and this massive, massive fucking gray area in the middle of like, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I need to think about it more. Hmm. Um, and there's something that's, I think, great about the show, having gone on as long as it did, was that they would sometimes change their minds and they would do an episode about, um, say, stem cell research and they would present a different argument about it that they had in the previous one uh recently they did that with climate change when initially they just completely ripped the piss out of al gore 
and then they did one last year where they're like, oh yeah, actually, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's embarrassing. Um, but they did it in, you know, with self-effacement and without kind of, you know, um, a massive backtrack thing. They just kind of said, okay, this is, you know, how our way of thinking has evolved at this point. So... So anyway, that was a long show. kind of um, <laughs> appreciation rant, and I, I ranted all the way over the um, uh, witch from the Wizard of Oz giant clitoris scene, <laughs> which was a um, wonderful moment. And, which, um, which admittedly, uh, admittedly, as a 15-year-old in the cinemas, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> really? 15? 15, yeah. Oh, Yeah. I knew I'd, I knew I'd appear cute on this one day. Discovered in the UK until 2000. Discovered in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I see you were lampooning me. It was a simple lampoon. <laughs> I, I just genuinely gave my wife this look of horror. <laughs> what? If only because she went to Canada in the summer. The, the, the clitorises abound. <laughs> It's on the curriculum over there. <laughs> You're frolicking among the hillocks. It's the one thing the French got right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, going back to what you were saying there, uh, we had a we had a tweet. I don't know if I read this one out earlier on, but um, from uh, the Bat Twin, it says a movie that holds uh, relevance to this day: free speech, censorship, misplaced parenting, other bastions of hypocrisy, worth worthy of its elevated contempt. So it's, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Here come the effects. Here comes more, the... Uh... More effects, more clouds, more fireballs. <laughs> and again, this seemed like such an elaborate yeah. sequence for all of the detail and all of the carnage and the corpses. But yeah, even by like sort of today's South Park, like this scene would be so much more intricately detailed yeah. um, and so much more like violent and... Um, even even the I, kind of you know you were talking about the way celebrities look they put a lot more detail in characters now you know yeah. yet yet the boys have stayed looking exactly the same yes yeah. Cartman gets his hero moment now <laughs> yeah this bit I, I swear this genuinely felt like a sort of high drama moment <laughs> yeah because of the, you know, the very kind of um, informed cinematography, I guess, with the uh, superpower. And I think we've got the 360 shot coming up where we're just yeah. like, oh man, come on. This is <laughs> <laughs> Some of the animations frame by frame. <laughs> Here it is. There we go, all the way around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Meanwhile, in, in we'd already had Toy Story yeah. <laughs> and like several other like full CG films, and this was still somehow impressive. Well it was imp- it was impressive because it was uh it was impressive because it was within that context, because it was within the South Park aesthetic, and I remember the trailers for the film coming out uh, over in the UK, and it was like it wasn't 
original like South Park the movie coming soon it was like this really elaborate high tech you know like a, a laser was creating a 3D character and it was saying you know the best computer systems the best animated from around the world you know all that sort of stuff and then it just zoomed out and it was Cartman you know, <laughs> yeah. I remember those trailers being really funny and really exciting to see it the first time at the cinemas because this was before obviously you got them on YouTube I've got a big reveal coming up now this was another big reveal yep. here it comes are you ready? It's the biggest event of 1999. <laughs> <laughs> that and me discovering what a clitoris is. For how long was it before you realised a clitoris wasn't that size and, uh, and spoke? Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been with some weird girls, Ben. <laughs> Weightlifters, were they? <laughs> What was the big reveal? Yeah, it's coming up. It's, I mean, go on. Oh, the oh his hood came off. And he looks exactly like the rest of them. <laughs> what, are they... ba-da, ba-da. what were people expecting? Um, I think they just... I don't know. <laughs> I think it was just sort of a, a... All manner of possibilities. Yeah. That was actually Mike Judge doing the voice of uh, Kenny. The, uh, the and a fine King job he did too. Yeah, I remember they they took his hood off again in the series. I think for the Michael Jackson episode, but they didn't make a big fuss of it, and he just appeared in one scene with a mask on. And I was like, and he was talking, and he sounded just like Stan or Kyle. I remember thinking, who the fuck is that? What's who is this character? <laughs> Completely forgot about the movie. And then they, I think the gag is in this random kid like gets killed, and then one of them goes, "Oh my god, he killed Candy!" So, oh right, yeah. Um, they did that a couple of times. I remember when the um, when he's the superhero, and um, no mm. one knows who the superhero is, and he takes off his mask, but he only takes off the face part of the mask, so it could have been any kid. And they, oh, it's you! <laughs> and then that's the end. And then you find out later that it was Kenny. Um, is it Misteron? Uh. Yeah, I think so. I only remember the kind of slightly un PC Cartman character. We've got Free Willy coming up. Yeah. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> and there's Kenny. Wee. Look at look at all those magical effects. Their boobs are so high up. And now not. <laughs> Before they were like under their chin. Kind of an odd design for the um the angels, the three quarter viewers. Sort of bizarre. <laughs> So the writer, the co-writer, uh, Trey and Matt, wrote it together with a woman called Pam Brady. And she, if you watch the show, there was an old episode where their um, DT teacher has these flashbacks about his girlfriend dying in a horrible plane crash. Do you remember that one? I think so, yeah. The, the flashbacks are all live action and it's just this random woman like sort of like skipping in a garden going catch me Richard mm, and then yeah. it cuts to like her like exploding in, in a playground so that was the woman who co-wrote the film <laughs> bit of random trivia I think that I probably know from you know if this podcast is good for anything it's good for random trivia yeah yeah there's more uh, more people in the cast than you'd think you think mm. it'll be mostly 
That's my mini driver with brick shield. A little sort of disclaimer about the celebrities not endorsing the film. Um, you think Conan would be game, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think they probably just didn't couldn't be asked to ask them. Yeah, yeah. But I remember that was a, a sort of big part of the marketing for Team America was how, like, all of these celebrities are in it and none of them know about it or, you know, gave their blessing. Um, that, I think, is probably a contributor to why people consider it them a more sort of right-leaning team mm. because taking a pop at the sanctimony of left-leaning celebrities which is still pretty fair game yeah. you know but now it's become just sort of a status quo thing um i think some people would take it in their stride and they'd acknowledge okay well that's you know fair enough if that's going to be something that i wear on my sleeve then you kind of have to expect that. But there are some people, I got the impression, that take it so seriously and have no um, no sense of humour about it whatsoever. Um, so you just see there that the uh, the visual effects were done by Blur Studio. Good old Blur Studio. <laughs> and they were very blurry effects. <laughs> That was fun revisiting that. It was good. How what did you think of it without any any musical numbers, uh, Laura? Because you've said next to nothing. You've just been sat there disappointed. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one that maybe? I mean, there's there's not really a lot to go on with the film if you're not hearing any of the audio or music because it's mm. not the most impressive animation in the world. So there's not really much to wax on about unless you were there at the time. Did you not see Cartman spinning round? Did I mean yeah. what what do you want? <laughs> Hell isn't good. <laughs> so, uh next week we're going to be doing the countdown of the 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 winner of the losers. So if you're disappointed that the Simpsons didn't get a play, then this is your chance to vote for The Simpsons. This is your chance to vote for Dot and the Kangaroo, The BFG, Red Turtle, American Tale, Book of Life, Anomalisa, and James and the Giant Peach. All those ones that... Because uh, it's been quite close, hasn't it, with the votes for this uh, thing, apart from when the BFG got its backside kicked by the Iron Giant. But uh, I think it'd be good to see who wins uh, next week. So if people want to go on Twitter and Facebook and uh, share your favourite films, let make sure people are voting for them. And this time next week, we're going to do one a day, and then this time next week, we'll be recording the winner. Fabulous. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Um, we're Squiggly. Follow us on Twitter, if we still have a Twitter, um, and Facebook, and the website, etc. I've been Ben, you've been Laura, you've been Steve. Bye! Tati, bye! <laughs> Don't left Kyle in the, uh, Ike in, the, in the loft. Oh, he ate a mouse. <laughs>